0: Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. This is going to be a second lecture today, 3 December 2023. We're still on Biomedical Portrait 6, Natural Killer Cells, and I might well finish it with this lecture, Um, because what we're canvassing out to are a lot of other topics, and I can see where we can generate another portrait. I think I'm going to do 10 portraits and then i'm going to do an expansive series of lectures on a new topic which i haven't quite decided on yet which will probably start the first of the year so that means we have uh after we finish this one today hopefully three more biomedical portraits uh four more and uh one of them is going to be on ethanol and probably one of them on obesity and we'll make them nice short So we won't spend a lot of time on any uh, extraneous detail so last time we're talking about glucokinase and the fact that glucokinase is a liver enzyme that does not phosphorylate glucose until there's high circulating glucose concentrations and it does that to regulate glucose homeostasis because the liver does not need to compete for glucose from any of the other cellular systems and tissue systems and organ systems, which absolutely require it and do not generate glucose. So remember, gluconeogenesis does not occur in the central nervous system, doesn't occur in the heart muscle, doesn't occur in the skeletal muscle. Uh, It doesn't occur in the adipose. There's various places where gluconeogenesis is just not functioning. Liver and kidney are the major sources. So at real high circulating glucose, the liver takes back uh, uh, takes that glucose up via something like a GLUT2 transporter, so it's not insulin dependent, obviously, and it can convert to glycogen, or it can convert the glucose to uh, fatty acid and cholesterol. <clears throat> when that happens, of course, then you deal with the problem of storage and storage cholesterol esters, which then can be packaged and mobilized out of uh, the liver via the very low-density lipoprotein pathways and then subsequently ldl idl and coming back in through hdl particularly uh, cholesterol reverse transport and we will we have talked about that we'll talk about that uh, in the future but i want to talk about glucokinase so glucokinase is actually regulated by a regulatory protein called the rp and um not last lecture but the one before i think we talked about the fact that one of the proteins uh, that seemed to be linked to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease was this glucokinase regulatory protein. So let's talk about it in more detail. I already told you about the kinetics and I already told you about the fact that it isn't in, uh, inhibited by product, which is glucose 6-phosphate. <clears throat> now, glucose 6-phosphate doesn't inhibit very strongly, hexokinase, which is the enzyme we find in, all, in the other tissues, right? Um, And so liver does have a hexokinase, but it has a glucokinase as well. So just so you're aware of the fact that both isoforms of that particular enzyme, which phosphorylates glucose and takes it um, into the cell, function correctly within the hepatic system. So the regulation that we're talking about, and I'm afraid I got cut off on last lecture and I didn't realize it. Glucokinase will be active in the cytoplasm, phosphorylate glucose to glucose phosphate. Again, liver, this is all liver enzyme activity, GK. Now, glucose positively regulates the translocation of glucose, uh, glucokinase, from the nucleus, the enzyme from the nucleus, as held there, sequestered there by the regulatory protein, and causes that glucokinase to come out into the cytoplasm where it's functional. Whereas fructose 6-phosphate, the isomerase product after glucose 6-phosphate synthesized in glycolysis, um, positively regulates the reverse. So the reverse is that the glucokinase is taken into the nucleus associated with the regulatory protein. There's a lot more interesting detail that goes on in the nucleus, which I'm just remembering I've talked about in the past, but I'm not going to do it today. But if that regulatory protein is dysfunctional we can see that this could i can see where this could link to alcoholic fatty liver uh also i mean not alcoholic non alcoholic fatty liver non alcoholic steatohepatitis and then we already talked about the sequence of events that can lead to sometimes hepatocellular carcinoma and we'll get into that in a moment but I want you to, uh, keep that understanding of how the regulatory protein works. So <laughs> there is a variant in the glucoconis regulatory protein that's associated both with what happens in the liver with lipid accumulation and glucose metabolism. And it's likely this is affecting the fatty liver and a paper that was published a few years back. And I'll give you the, uh, it's going to be in the show notes. I think it was published in uh, 2021. Maybe this one's the uh, 2014 paper, but I'll get them all in there. Um, One, to look at the glucokinase regulatory protein, and there's a specific single nucleotide polymorphism, which is an RS780094, that's a C to a T. Uh, And it influences the expression of steatosis lobular inflammation, and fibrosis in NAFLD patients. So they had, this is human study, over 360 NAFLD patients, some from Sicily and some from Northern Italy. So this is obviously an Italian study. And they looked at anthropometric biochemical and metabolic features that deliver biopsies. And what they found was that (laughs) this particular single nucleotide polymorphism occurred in some of these patients. So they did a multivariant logistic regression analysis on the entire NAFLD cohort. And they looked at liver fibrosis. And liver fibrosis means it's got to be beyond stage F1, obviously. And they also did a link to what's called HOMA. So, HOMA is a means by which you can uh, essentially systematically and by inference statistically examine alterations in metabolism, okay? So, I'll get into um, some of the detail of that in a moment, but I just want you to understand that they used this technique so that they could uh, examine whether or not this alteration in gluco uh, glucokinase regulatory protein was indeed uh, being affected. okay? So <clears throat> let me go through some detail here. Remember that NASH, uh, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, is involved in a, not just this fatty liver, but also a recruitment of T lymphocytes and natural killer cells, and they become activated. And so you have a dysregulated immune response, which is exacerbating the NAFLD moving to NASH. Right. And so the question is, what's going on with the recruitment of these cells? And so we got into some detail of that. We got we talked about chemokine production in the hepatocytes and in the kupfer cells and in epithelial cells of the liver, thus generating a gradient to bring in cytotoxic T lymphocytes of the CD8 positive series and of course the natural killer cells. And once they were in the liver, the activation thereof. So paper in <laughs> 2021 was running some transcriptomics on this whole process and comparing the transcriptomics within these immune cells linked to the pathogenesis going from NAFLD to NASH. And they looked at whether or not there were any specific alterations. And they found neutrophils were recruited to the liver during the NASH uh, transformation from NAFLD. They found that chemokine contribution uh, and that chemokine contribution could go all the way from NAFLD um, recruiting these inflammatory cells, including neutrophils, CDA positive T cells, and NK cells go from the progression of NAFLD to NASH all the way to past cellular carcinoma. But they also found the cd4 positive t cells and the regulatory t cells are decreased during the movement from NAFLD to nash okay so this is interesting right so you're getting a lot of pro-inflammatory cells and you're getting also a lot of cytotoxic cells because cd8 positive t cells can be cytotoxic as you know and of course then nk that's what they're uh, raisin tray is all about. But losing the Treg cells means you're losing the ability to regulate, suppress the inflammatory response, right? So that might be part of this whole promotion of liver injury, going to moving through stages of fibrosis from F1 to F3, and then ultimately essentially getting to cirrhosis. And after that, Possibility of prodromal stages of hepatocellular carcinoma, all linked to this high level of inflammation. So, the GCKR gene product, remember the glucokinase regulatory protein, is what can inhibit glucokinase activity, right? So, it inhibits it if the regulatory protein binds to the enzyme and pulls it into the nucleus. So there is this specific uh, SNP, which is, again, a C to a T. And it seems like that um, polymorphism is linked to liver fibrogenesis. And it does that by reducing the inhibitory effect of GCKR thereby increasing the activity of glucokinase okay so you're having higher levels of glucokinase activity now that may seem to be contrarian but i'll explain to you why it isn't okay so the single nucleotide polymorphism that we're talking about links a disequilibrium between the glucokinase activity uh, in the cytoplasm, and what would normally be sequestered in the nucleus, and so you induce glycolysis, and when that protein is highly active, pyruvic acid will be generated. Pyruvic acid can then be dehydrogenated via the PDH in the mitochondrion, and the mitochondrion in the parasite will then allow for the condensation of acetyl-CoA, the product of PDH, with oxaloacetic acid, which is also a product of pyruvate metabolism as pyruvate carboxylase, whereas you get a condensation of OAA and, and acetyl-CoA, you know, you make citric acid. But because this is the liver and you're going to have high levels of NADH to NAD, the citrate generate in the mitochondria of the hepatocyte in the steatohepatic liver will then generate acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetic acid in the cytoplasm via HB citrate, right? And so that acetyl-CoA then will be used for de novo fatty acid synthesis and de novo cholesterologenesis, as synthesis in general. And this may well lead to the entire phenotype of higher levels, not just of uptake of fatty acids into the liver and sequestration. And lack of removal, remember, because of that protein that is linked to the endoplasmic reticulum Golgi membrane contact point, so that apolipoproteins can't be uh, associated with triacylglycerol and cholesterol and leave the liver via VLDL, but also you're getting de novo fatty acid synthesis, So that de novo fatty acid synthesis then will do what? Generate more triacylglycerol. More levels of triacylglycerol, more fatty liver, More, and and then with the recruitment of the natural killer cells, higher levels of pro-inflammation. Remember, the natural killer cells themselves are going to also be dysregulated. And so the dysregulation can lead to high levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines, and not necessarily a cytotoxic effect. But there could be cytotoxicity, but generated against the hepatocytes. Now, cytotoxicity can elevate the level of reactive oxygen, you know, and the high level of reactive oxygen can lead to lipid peroxidation, as well as, remember, you're going to get increasing levels of that arachidonic acid loaded into lipids, and probably that will alter the ratio of phosphatidylcholine to sphingolipids because of the transfer of the phosphatidylcholine residue off, of, off PC. That can lead to Sphingomyelinase activity, and the sphingomyelinase activity will generate ceramide. And ceramide can produ- promote and produce inflammation directly by controlling transcription factor regulation, making more pro-inflammatory cytokines, more reactive oxygen, less glutathione, and also more fatty acid oxygenation products, such as from cyclooxygenase and lipoxygenase, producing them eicosanoids um, and eicosanoids, prostaglandin class, thrombax, thromboxane class, and some of the lipoxygenase products such, such as HETE and ATPTE will then promote the transcription machinery to turn on pro-inflammatory cytokine production in in the liver. So you see where you're going to get now steatohepatitis. You're going to get full-blown NASH right so this is the feature that we have to consider uh when we're dealing with this whole overall effect on promoting glucokinase activity now step back be you know follow me as a biochemist right whenever I think about the fact that glucokinase is going to be operating at a higher level remember glucokinase how is it regulated it's regulated by glucose and fructose 6-phosphate, right? Now, keep in mind that the FBPase, remember the FBPase, which is gluconeogenic, is also corrupted, it's one of the proteins that's corrupted in natural killer cells, remember? But also in hepatocytes with a similar mutation. So what happens when you have a decrease in FBPase or an increase in FBPase? An increase in FBPase is going to do what? It's going to generate more fructose 6-phosphate. That means that you're going to be centering around fructose 6-phosphate production. Now, if FBPase is inhibited, which can occur, the fructose, that's the fructose 1,6-bisphosphatase gluconeogenesis will not be proceeding. Rather, glycolysis will be proceeding, thus leading to the whole lipogenic profile I just mentioned to you. Okay? So you see where this is going to be a corruption. Now, remember that uh, the whole thing I just told you about the regulatory protein, right? It was on the last lecture. The glucose positively stimulates the Glucokinase removed from the nucleus to the cytoplasm where it's functioning. And that glucokinase is an enzyme that doesn't function until you have high glucose levels. When do you have high glucose levels in circulation? Well, when there's a corruption because of adiposity linked to insulin resistance, such as obesity associated type two diabetes. High circulating glucose type two diabetes, right? Diabetes in general, right? High levels of glucose, glucose now entering the liver, glucokinase now because of the way the regulatory protein is um, mutated in the natural killer cells and also in the hepatocytes. And now think just about the hepatocytes. You're driving more glycolysis, okay? And now normally the fructose 6-phosphate would... Enhance the removal of glucokinase from a cytoplasm to the nucleus. The shutting off glycolysis, because that's the product, right? The isomerase would be one of the products that would be measuring the necessity for glucokinase. So this is a this is basically a network of systems, biochemical systems, going to pull glucose out of circulation because there's high levels of it, phosphorylate it. Once it's phosphorylated, glucose six phosphate summarizes the fructose six phosphate. Fructose six phosphate will then be phosphorylated fructose one six bis phosphate. Fructose one six bis phosphate is not going to be removed because of an FBPase activity, so there won't be any back reactions leading to any kind of gluconeogenic events. So fructose six phosphate will just be further metabolized all the way to pyruvic acid. You see. Now, I mentioned to you last time that fructose, which comes from high sucrose containing foods, will go through fructolysis, generating fructose 1 phosphate. Fructose 1 phosphate is a negative regulator, allosteric regulator, of removing glucokinase from the cytoplasm to the nucleus. OK, so that whole system now is going to be rigged so that glucokinase is going to maintain high levels of cytosolic activity, high levels of cytosolic activity, because the fructose 1-phosphate won't accumulate. It will be used to generate pyruvate, pyruvate to acetylchlorate to citrate to leaving, citrate, leaving the mitochondrion in that parasite. Making acetyl CoA, fatty acids of this is cholesterologenesis. You see, this is all a lipogenic environment enhanced by the fructose 1 phosphate. Because you're not going to have high levels of fructose 1 phosphate accumulating, which would inhibit, which would inhibit the ability for glucokinase to go to the nucleus. right? So if glucokinase goes to the nucleus, if that reaction if that system is inhibited, glucokinase is still high in the cytoplasm. So even though fructose 1-phosphate is being generated by fructolysis and going to pyruvate, its inhibitory effect on taking glucokinase out of the cytoplasm, right, will do what? It will be enough in operation so that glucokinase remains active thus driving all the carbon into lipogenesis same so that is the way that i can see this functioning around that particular locus of events all right so um what else do we want to say here um let's talk let's finish off here by talking about effector function of nk cells okay Remember that effective function of NK cells sustained by cellular metabolism. And the tumor microenvironment, not only tumor cells, but the natural killer cell metabolism becomes dysregulated. So you've got hepatocytes dysregulated in terms of glycolysis. You've got tumor cells running what? Varberg <laughs> glycolysis, right? You know that's happening. And it doesn't matter if the TCA cycle is functioning or not. Heavy levels of glycolysis, not beta-oxidation of fatty acids, right? Not happening in the tumor either. So you've got tumor cells, which, of course, are transformed to hepatocytes. You've got hepatocytes doing glucose to pyruvate, to lipid. So everything is functioning to be pro-inflammatory lipogenic, right? And that's going to ha- have an effect on the natural killer cell activation of pro inflammatory cytokine production. So, in a KRAS driven tumor model, now this was in the lung, fructose 1,6 bisphosphatase can be upregulated in a KRAS tumor. When fructose bisphosphatase is upregulated in the lung, natural killer cells. And this is a mouse model already bearing advanced lung tumors compared to lung natural killer cells from normal mice. What's going on? FBPA's function is the rate-limiting enzyme for That would facilitate gluconeogenesis and inhibit glycolysis. But I'm telling you that's not going to be the case, okay? Why? Because you have the corruption of the regulatory protein. Regulatory protein is not going to allow glucokinase to be taken to the nucleus. So there's not going to be any upregulation of gluconeogenesis, right? So even though that lesion may be because of an induced KRAS mutation, this was done in a mouse model. Even if you get FBPase1 activity, glycolysis is going to drive Override gluconeogenesis because all of that fructose 6 phosphate would just move back through the OPP cycle, making more NDPH necessary for fatty acid synthesis, cholesterol genesis, and of course, DNA synthesis. What's the DNA synthesis going to be doing? It's going to be functioning in those cellular carcinoma cells, <laughs> generating cell division. See? So there's no way out of it. This is going to lead to NAFLD, to NASH, to HCC. Because of, because of the high levels of pro-inflammatory cytokine production generated from the natural killer cell population, presumably also from the cytotoxic T cells. Uh, cytotoxic T cells coming from the CD8-positive lineage, also being recruited in the liver. Okay? So this is overall what's going on. So it might seem contrarian, when you think about FBPase activity actually been shown to increase, remember that that's increased in a tumor model, okay? And even if you have a lesion in FBPase that activates it, all that's going to do is generate fructose 6-phosphate. doesn't mean it's going to be gluconeogenic, right? Because the glucokinase is going to be driving glucose 6-phosphate production. And the glucokinase is not going to be rendered inactive because of increasing glucose coming into the cell, driving that regulatory protein to bring glucokinase back, right? Plus the fructose 1-phosphate is not going to negatively regulate the what would normally be, if it's a negative regulation of, of increasing the glucokinase activity in the nucleus, then that would mean that the glucokinase would actually uh, function; would be removed to the nucleus, but the fructose one phosphate doesn't inhibit that. It inhibits the other way; it inhibits the um, movement of the glucokinase to the nucleus, so that means glucokinase will remain in the cytoplasm. Fructose bisphosphate, even if it is elevated in these cytohepatic uh, uh, liver cells, it's not going to cause any effect on glycolysis because glycolysis is going to be drawn down to pyruvate because of the high levels of fructose 1,6-bisphosphate. Sufficient amount of that will eventually move through um, to pyruvate and aldolase, and dihydroxyacetone phosphate, all that's going to generate, remember the glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate production. And when you make glycerol from that, from the aldite to the alcohol, the glycerol will be readily available for glycerolipid uh, metabolism, including triacylglycerol production. See? So the whole system is rigged for pro-inflammation, carbon utilization from glycolysis to fatty acid synthesis, higher levels of triacylglycerol, also higher levels of sphingomyelin and phosphoglycerol uh, lipids. The sphingomyelin will go through the, ser- the um uh, sh- stringomyelinase activity activity, uh, generating ceramide, producing more reactive oxygen. Reactive oxygen again, hydroxy fatty acids, also reactive oxygen, turning on the you know, inflammatory response. Inflammatory response, uh, and then the whole s- will then cause pro-inflammatory cytokine production in stellate cells, in hepatocytes, transforming hepatocytes, and also in the natural killer cells and cytotoxic T lymphocytes. So I'm going to end my natural killer story there because I think I put together for you how NAFLD to NASH to HCC could function. And this is all going to be part of the pathobiochemistry of obesity type 2 diabetes, right? which is another thing that we talked about throughout these lectures on natural killer cells. So I'm going to end here on biomedical portrait number six. And uh, we're going to start a new biomedical portrait when we get back uh, next week. Well, actually, tomorrow, Monday. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Shane, bye Bye. for now.